Mary's act of anointing Jesus' feet with perfumed oil and then wiping them with her hair is both fragrant and flagrant. The scent of the pure nard permeates the rooms of the home of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, who are throwing Jesus' dinner party on the Saturday night before he enters Jerusalem the next day, a day we now call Palm Sunday. Pure nard was the finest grade of oil extracted from the root and spike of the nard plant. It was imported from as far away as India, which is why it costs so much. When Judas complains that it could have been sold for 300 denarii, that's basically 300 days' wages, a flagrant misuse of money that could have been spent on the poor. Mary's act of anointing Jesus' feet with perfumed oil and then wiping them with her hair is both flagrant and fragrant. There is an uncomfortable intimacy in this public act of hers, a flagrant acknowledgement of the body. She is massaging oil into his feet with her hair. That's weird. You would never see that at a dinner party thrown by Episcopalians. We would be too busy sipping our sherry, listening to soft jazz, and discussing the latest nonfiction we've read to engage in such brazenly emotive actions, such touching. Mary's act is an expression of pure emotion that surely makes the others at the dinner party uneasy because it's all too sensual, by which I mean it publicly engages that sense of smell, the touch, and the sight. I recently sent an email to a number of parishioners clarifying some liturgical aspects of the Holy Week that's coming up. As a PS to the email, I asked them for their thoughts on foot washing for Maundy Thursday. Maybe not this year, but next year. Their response? I heard crickets. Nothing. But I wasn't surprised because it reminded me of when I instituted foot washing at St. Luke's Long Beach a few years ago as interim rector. I basically had to beg the English-speaking parishioners to give it a try, even challenging the vestry to set an example of service by coming forward to wash and be washed. The Latinos at that service, on the other hand, were all over it. <laughs> One elderly woman even came up twice. Now, I don't want to stereotype whole groups of people, but it's interesting. Our relationship as a culture to humility, intimacy, and vulnerability. Back to Bethany. We are lucky to have Judas on hand to interrupt this queasy scene of adoration on the part of Mary. What are you doing, he cries. We could have sold that fancy perfume for a year's wages and given the proceeds to the poor. Now, I'm not really a fan of the parenthetical aside in John that insists that Judas only complained because he was stealing from the apostles' treasury. I think he actually makes a good point. This extravagant act, this flagrant misuse of money, this bad stewardship of resources was irrational and economically unsound. But Mary's fragrant offering is crucial to our understanding of John's depiction of Jesus. In this gospel, much more than in any other, Jesus is viewed through the lens of what's called a high Christology, meaning John accentuates the divinity of Christ, the high Christ, 
over the humanity of Jesus, the low Christ, if you will. So in John, you don't have the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit, and you don't have Jesus spending time with tax collectors, lepers, shepherds, prostitutes, or the poor. What you do have is the divine logos. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And you have the Jesus who proclaims, I am the bread of life, and I am the light of the world, and I am the resurrection and the life. In other words, the divinity of Christ is stressed much more in John's gospel. So John's gospel basically has two parts. Chapters 1 through 10 tell stories of Jesus' ministry and healing, while chapters 12 through 21 narrate his final days of ministry, his passion, and his resurrection. In the middle part, chapters 11 and 12, Jesus is hanging out in the town of Bethany. That's where we are today. In chapter 11, he raises Lazarus from the dead, the miracle in John that is the last straw for the chief priests and Pharisees who decide right then and there that Jesus has now become too powerful and must be stopped. In other words, for John, this saving deed of raising Lazarus in Bethany is what triggers all the tragic events about to transpire. So here we are today at the beginning of chapter 12 with Mary's flagrant and fragrant act of anointing Jesus' feet with perfumed oil and then wiping them with her hair. In the Gospels of Matthew and Mark, a woman anoints Jesus' head, not his feet, signifying kingship, like when the prophet Samuel anointed David king. But in Luke and John's Gospels, it's the feet of Jesus that are anointed. It was customary back then to start with the feet when anointing a corpse in preparation for burial. Mary is at once foreshadowing his impending death, while also because of the precious cost of the oil, announcing that he is a personage of great importance, even the Messiah. His death and kingship are revealed in her great and singular act. Now, I think for most of us, myself included, we are much more comfortable with the human Jesus, like the one in Luke who has compassion on the outcasts and blesses the poor, who eats with sinners and mingles with lepers, who commends the widow's might as more precious than all the gold given by the others in the temple. But the divine Christ in John's gospel also demands to be known. And so the question for us today is this. What will be your fragrant, flagrant offering to Jesus Christ? How do you proclaim and honor him as divine in your life? When have you wiped his feet with oil? Truly I say to you, you have done so whenever you have shown kindness or generosity to another person, helped them, or made them feel welcome. I recently read a definition of sin as being anything that pulls you away from others or from God or from your true self. In other words, the opposite of sin is relationship, connecting in all its forms when it is manifested in love. And to sin is not to be an awful person. To sin is human. We all know this. But when you let your thoughts or your actions alienate you from connection, you are sinning. Honor Christ by connecting with and loving others.
And the more flagrant your connection is, in other words, not just with your family, friends, and neighbors, but with outright strangers or with people you may never meet, the more flagrant your connection, the more fragrant your offering will be to God. I was um, looking for an example of this to give you, and the only thing I could come up with was uh, a story about William again, who's always the hero in these things, and it's getting a little annoying. (laughs) Um, You know, basically, every fourth time or so that a black man gets shot and killed by the police, William gets so upset that he sends a $100 or $200 check to Epiphany School. Epiphany School is this place I knew in Boston. It's one of the three recipients of the donations at my installation. They do amazing work. It's a middle school that basically gives a super high quality education to kids who are in desperate circumstances. They have parents who are addicted to drugs and jumping off rooftops in front of them. They are children who are running into the street wanting to get run over by cars because they're so despairing. And I've known these kids in that year I was there. And I've told William these stories. And the things they do at Epiphany are amazing. People go into fifth grade with a third grade reading education. And they come out at eighth grade with a ninth or tenth grade ability. And so it's a saving, hopeful place. And when William is feeling at his most hopeless, when he reads these news items, he sends money to hope, basically. And um, that that is his own way of honoring Jesus and what he would have us do. It's his fragrant offering to God. Jesus says, you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. He is echoing a passage from Deuteronomy that says, There will always be poor people in the land, so I command you to give freely to your neighbors and to the poor and needy in your land. Jesus is not saying don't give to the poor. Spend it instead on fancy perfumes for my feet. But amazingly, some people of faith have historically used this passage as an excuse to ignore the needy in their midst. You will always have the poor with you. Why should I give? One of the tragedies of being human is that we cannot seem to value equity among ourselves over personal achievement. I worked hard to get mine. Too bad if others don't have theirs. It's that economic imbalance that will always be with us seemingly that maybe I'll just call it a sort of a Judas mindset where we could have kept that money for ourselves. As a result, Jesus is right. We will always have the poor with us because we can't seem to get it right. His words also bless Mary's extravagant act, her acknowledging of the truth that he will not always be with them. So now is the time to honor him. We can't throw Jesus a dinner party, kneel down and anoint his feet with oil and wipe them dry with our hair, especially short hair. But we honor him each time we connect in relationship with others. When we care for those in need, whether they are struggling with economic hardship, physical ailment, or mental anguish. We honor Christ also when we can access the humility, intimacy, and vulnerability that will bring us closer to our fellow human beings. What will be your fragrant, flagrant offering to Christ? Amen. Amen.